Hello all, election night 2020. Um, this is a pretty political episode. I understand tensions are high out there. So if you don't feel like you want to sit through this one, uh, I totally understand. We voice a lot of our own opinions on the matter. And if you feel like that's not your thing, I completely understand. However, if you want to learn a little bit about how elections work, about how the mechanics and the nuts and bolts of tonight are going to go, um, feel free to listen in. And if you can hang in there, uh, at the very end we'll get into some uh, superhero stuff, talk about some mythical creatures, talk about some of the cryptonomica. That's always fun. Um, again, I totally understand if you don't want to uh, endure the political stuff. Um, we'll get some uh, more episodes out on some different topics uh, coming up here in the future. crunch because the baby's sleeping so here we are here we are what time is it it's, um, 9.54 election day <clears throat> november 3rd and i think the question on everybody's mind is what will be joe biden's inauguration song and can we assume he had to text obama to get a recommendation off of his playlist you have two minutes to respond uninterrupted Lee Greenwood. I'd like to respond to that. <laughs> Didn't know that was going to happen, but should have expected it on That's the day fine. of all days. Okay, so this is going to be a this is going to be a day. Um, this is mine and probably a lot of people's first election that they are emotionally invested in, because politics was pretty boring up until the last few years. Which, can't wait for that to happen again. But, all the hubbub. For people, and you've already explained this to me, and I got about half of it. For people who are going to be watching tonight and through probably tomorrow, they keep hearing about election results, election results, election results. Trump has been posturing for probably over a month now about these election results and trying to, I guess, cast doubt on Longer the Longer than a month. Right? Yeah. I okay, mean, the so. ballots, you know. So can you articulate to people, like you did to me, what they can expect on election night tonight? Certainly. So why why is this such a concern this time around, Right. It's a concern uh, this time around because Donald Trump uh, and the administration, the Republican Party, wanted it to be a concern. What's going to happen tonight is the same thing that's happened 
uh, every election night in all of, of modern U.S. history, we are going to have the organizations uh, that work in conjunction with the news reporting organizations uh, that all work in conjunction with county and state officials, the vote counters. They will tally the votes. They will use uh, good old-fashioned arithmetic and statistics to allow them to call a winner based on how many votes they know are out there, how many they can uh, uh, safely assume or cast. Um, you, get the, you get the picture. We use our, our technology and our math to make projections of who is going to win. Every night, every election night that you have seen, um, you will see CNN or, or Fox News or, or the AP Associated Press is calling Wisconsin for this candidate. Certainly, all the ballots have not been counted. It takes days because, well, there's millions of them. But using math and using expectations, we're able to make those calls and say, okay, we know that with these counties left over, with these voting rolls, with these records, and, and what we can believe are reasonable expectations, we know that there's no mathematical way for this state to go to this candidate. So we're going to go ahead and say it's going to the other guy. Yeah, we were you were looking at it earlier. So there's a potential, I feel like, for this thing to be pretty well in the bag tonight by, say, midnight or whatever, because there's so many close states, right? So Texas, how many points? That's a that's a 35 plus uh, electoral college uh, uh, electors. Right. Did Trump have it or Biden have it in the latest like 538? Uh, Trump has it by one. By one. Texas by well, one within the origin, margin of error. Yeah. So Texas, Trump has it by one point, which is staggering. You know how shitty you have to be to turn Texas almost blue. Um, Georgia, uh, just shy of two. North Carolina, Biden favor about one and a half two. So what what are the other heavy hitters in in the swing category? So the the biggest state in the union for tonight is Pennsylvania. Pennsylvania going to uh, Donald Trump cuts the number of paths to victory for Joe Biden in half, literally. It goes from 38 to 40 possible paths of victory. And when I say path of victory, I mean the combination of electors they get based on the popular vote of each state. Get Pennsylvania, you got 40 ways to win this thing. Don't get Pennsylvania, you got about 10 to 15 ways to get this thing. Now, let's say we lose Pennsylvania. North Carolina and Georgia still on Biden's side. And they were already very close victories in 2016 for Trump. I can't possibly imagine that there would be enough um, voter change in terms of turnout. And as we've been saying these past few days, I know Republicans who are voting for Biden, but I do not know Democrats who are voting for Trump. Uh, I, I know it's anecdotal, but it, it, it gives you hope that even if Pennsylvania did go down, you're still talking about North Carolina and Georgia and Florida and maybe even Ohio. Ohio. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> so, yeah, it's, um, it is anecdotal, but I, I do think it is pretty telling that pretty much anybody can name a Republican friend or family member that is either not voting or has changed sides this time around. I just talked to somebody last night. Uh, they said it was for job reasons, but whatever. Yeah. Um, 
but I cannot name a single uh, Democratic friend who thought four more years was a good idea. Uh, and you know, at the basis level, I'm I'm just sort of hanging my hopes on those who are not politically connected or they simply don't have interest in it. They you know whatever uh, that they you can't possibly think that all this volatility is good for a country. And if you are going to show up at the polls, you know, I don't know how you're undecided at this point. If, if you're a non-political person thinking that, oh, this was a stable four years. Yeah, lots of opportunity and growth everywhere. That's just, that's a lie. You'd be lying to yourself. Um, yeah. So, I mean, that is, that's what we pin our hopes on. All of us are obviously, you know, Democrats, liberals were real nervous because of trauma from 2016. Um, you know, I, I got to, I get to be a, big old hipster and say I told you so at that because I was terrified of Hillary Clinton the entire time for the very reason that I thought that she would lose to no matter who. And she did, almost literally. But the four years that have gone by, um, it is, it's hard to imagine any Democrat friends that somehow pulled the Trump, those undecided voters, those those people who, uh, um, you know, they're the 60, 70,000 people across those three states that made the decision. I just... It feels as though they're just not going to show up or they're going to vote the other way. Hmm. <laughs> what do you, uh, you, you mentioned yesterday when you were talking to Amada, what do you, this notion that Trump refuses to leave this, I, I, I think it's bullshit. You see people like Bill Maher saying that he's going to fucking tie his fat ass to that chair and refuse to get out, you know? You know, Bill Maher is he's probably uh, he's doing us a service of making sure that people are appropriately alarmed uh, because we are in, we have traveled so far off the rails in the past four years in terms of our conventional expectations uh, of our democracy uh, that we don't know what alarming is anymore. And a president who refuses to leave power is so beyond the pale that I get bringing it up. But here's what's going to happen in some scenarios. One of the first things, uh, strategies that Democrats were scared of or had uh, thought Trump might entertain is delay, delay, delay. Yeah. You know, if, if, we, if we make it seem like we'll never know the results of this thing, somehow he'll run out the clock and like he'll, he'll remain president through virtue of that or there's a Supreme Court thing where oh, they'll have to rule and they'll pick a president. No. That's not how the system's set up, right? It's simply not how it's going to work. Uh, not because people will choose not to, it's because it's not built that way. What would happen, and this is, I love to talk about this scenario, if Trump pulled off the delay and we didn't know by late January, I think it was January 20th that we do the, doesn't matter. If we get to Inauguration Day and we do not have a con, uh, an agreed upon winner, the presidency will leave Trump. The office, his powers will leave him because it says so in the Constitution that if there is no selection by Inauguration Day. We have to go uh, by the line of succession, which, ironically, would make Nancy Pelosi president. <laughs> <laughs> and it skips Mike Pence because he's part of the campaign ticket. So, yeah. And I'm not guessing anybody that on the right wants that. Um, so th there's scenario number one debunked for you. Hmm. What are some other scenarios that we can that you can explain to people that are being floated around that you can put their mind at ease? Yeah. Like, Re remember that the counting and and news agencies and independent uh, uh, verifying agencies, basically um, electoral statistician and analytic firms, they, they exist 
solely for, for this job, um, you're going to see all these, you know, 66% of the vote counted, but they've already assigned the state to Michigan or Wisconsin to, to the winner. I will tell you right now that the only strategy left besides actually winning the election for the president is to make that seem like it's out of the ordinary, like something that we have done every single time since we've been in modern history is crazy. And that's the rigged system. I guarantee you that is what he is going to try to do uh, as an effective way to somehow get the election in front of the Supreme Court and that whole mess. Uh, but the fact of the matter is virtually anybody with any kind of memory knows that this is how this works. It takes days, weeks to count millions of votes and it's up to the states. The Constitution is explicit in giving them the power to choose how we choose the presidency. Now, that's changed. Um, we, there's obviously a lot wrong with the Electoral College. I believe that the most states have at least like a month to count these things. And they're not, there isn't, there isn't a deadline for submitting, okay, this is how many votes we got. It's a deadline for assigning your electors. Because the Constitution doesn't give a whole lot of, you know, uh, uh, design beyond giving it to the states. They don't say the individual has these rights, they have to do it with these kinds of electors. It's actually changed uh, multiple times, uh, not in recent history, but uh, through the 19th century. For example, it used to be, and this was by design with the Electoral College, that let's say um, the people have erred and they vote a dog into office. They, they elect spot. Um, the golden retriever uh, somehow and back in the 18th century guys like Alexander Hamilton were worried about that happening because they believed the common man to be stupid and uneducated largely because they were but the point is is that they wanted parents there in the room to make sure that the kids didn't you know stick their finger in the socket that's the electoral college they're elderly statesmen and generals and former politicians who are there to make sure that and again, dripping with irony here, that specifically a foreign power didn't unduly influence uh, the election. The electors are there, <laughs> yeah. Oh, to, the irony. To snuff that out, to yeah. say, oh man, the people have erred. So obviously that's you know, undemocratic, even for a notoriously undemocratic uh, institution in the Electoral College. Now, um, most of the states, and I don't have the exact number, uh, they've simply made laws in their state constitution that whoever gets the popular vote in their state gets those electoral votes. Yeah, 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 yeah. <sighs> Can I ask you a poli-sci question that I've been thinking about? Far away. States' rights mm-hmm. versus federal oversight. Mm-hmm. Seems like in the beginning, pretty good idea, leaving it up to the states because the impetus of it was getting away from tyranny, getting away from, I'll call it government control, but really it was getting away from a king, a monarch, right? right? So this is something that somebody explained to me that I think people would be interested to hear. We're not a democracy. We're not, right? I've heard us referred to as a republic or a democratic republic. Right, right. So where does that weave in when we're talking about federal versus states' rights? Really good question. Uh, Super interesting topic to get into. So, a little history, because I can never stop myself. The first political parties that existed uh, in America were the Federalists, um, spearheaded by John, John Adams and Alexander Hamilton, and then there were the Democratic Republicans. 
headed up by Thomas Jefferson, who is the patron saint of libertarians and republicans and has been forever. So the Federalists would basically turn into what we, I guess, think of as like traditional big government Democrats. They called them Federalists because they were proponents of expanding power of the federal government. At the time, not really a sexy idea because we were just running away from that autocrat, uh, autocrat in the crown. Democratic Republican is a very literal term uh, to describe what those members of the parties believed. If we are a republic, then democracy is how we organize our republic. In a republic, you choose someone to represent your interests. It's always bothered me when politicians talk about um, giving a voice to their people and that we have to vote this way because it's what the people want. And even if we had the technology and the ability to ask every human being in this country about one issue and say, hey, how would you like your representative to vote on this? And they could give them that definitive information. That doesn't mean that the representative would be obligated to go, okay, that's what they want. They are a representation of the people. They are meant to be the best of us. They literally were trying to pick out the people that would know best so they could have them making the decisions as opposed to a bunch of people who might care about one or two issues. That's the whole deal. Democracy is how we choose the people that represent us. So when a politician says something like, well, my constituents say, you know, we need to defund the military and build the world's largest zoo. You think he really thinks he should do that? Probably not. Politicians, by being voted into office, are the will of the people, literally. They're walking embodiments of what the people want. It's meant to be that way in a republic. And we're a constitutional republic because the constitution governs how those representatives work in the republic. So we're a constitutional republic. Right. By, by design. Yes. That's the way we're set up. Absolutely. Okay. That's, and it's so important to, to realize this. I, I had no idea what any of these things were at the end of high school. <laughs> well, we can sit here and uh, talk off mic about our uh, <laughs> political science high school experiment. Yeah, and, we really could. Yeah. Okay. I'm not going to say any more on that because people are going to start Googling it. It's <clears throat> not my place to air that laundry. Uh, um, but but it, it gets lost on so many people is, is, is one of the things that it gets to me about it. Is that, you know, they, they throw around words like, you know, democracy and, you know, it's the people and populism, like whatever. The people that you voted in you are empowering them to simply make the decisions they think are best for everyone. Hmm. Yeah. So it really does matter who you vote for. Voting's important, huh? Yeah. Like this person, you're, you're investing in them true power, you know, the will of the people. They are, they are a walking physical embodiment of it. And unfortunately, I've stopped believing that the people that do represent us in Congress understand that all the way. You know, it's too common. They, they like to make that excuse, like, well, my district said they wanted this. It's like, well, you know, you're one dude from the whole district, and it's important for you to have a long-term view. Oh, boy, now we're really going to get a soapbox here. Think about term limits, right? This is what I like to do. I like to just wind them up and let them go <laughs> for about 30, 35 minutes, and that's a whole podcast. It's, there's just, there's so many things. It's, it's my whole, my whole life, uh, uh, my 20s, educating through all this stuff, 
these days I have this bizarre sense of like uh, uh, fear, like most people, and also validation uh, because the stuff that I was reading eight to ten years ago about what was wrong with this party or that party, like wasn't mainstream. Like the interesting stuff, you're like, oh, that kooky liberal website. Now that stuff's in the mainstream. It's like, oh, oh, I see. So it has been like that all along, you know, that Republicans have cozied up with corporate interests and are taking advantage of a system that offers too much representation to small states. And here's one great example for you. So we're going to talk about the Electoral College a little bit again. Electoral College, yes, those, those we know better people to make sure that Russia doesn't interfere with our election and then failed. There's 538 of them. Uh, the parties kind of pick who they are. A good example of who is on right now, get ready for the shocker, Hillary Clinton is an elector for the state of New York. It's always statesmen, people who, you know, have been in politics. It's, it's, it's just the way it goes. The number of electoral voters that a state gets is very simply calculated. It is the number of representatives you have between both chambers. So everybody gets two at least, uh, or at least, I'm sorry, three, your two senators and at least one member of the House, right? So California, they have like 48, 46 of them are members of the House of Representatives, and two of them are members of the Senate. So everybody gets two, but if you're a big populous state, you get more. This is done so that we can bake in the whole small state versus big state problem, which was a huge deal back in the, the founding of this country. They're worried that you know farmers would get under the foot of, of corporate interests that would only work around the big populous states with the big urban centers. And sure, more people, you should have more representation. And so they thought they kind of had that figured um, by having the Senate and the House of Representatives. If you add the Electoral College, you're sort of double counting for the rural places. They already have those two senators, right? like everybody else. Well, they get a double count in the Electoral College because they have no representatives compared to like New York who's got 40 and South Dakota who has like three. But somehow we've like doubled up this small state representation. Um, Hang on, say it again. So if the Senate and the House already exist to, yeah. to make sure yeah. that big populous states you know, don't crush small guys, yeah. Why is it do we have another institution in the Electoral College that does the same thing? Oh, okay. I see what you're saying. Yeah, I, I, my words got twi too twisted up there, but that's exactly the problem that's been talked about since Bush lost a popular vote but won the presidency. Why do we have... And Trump. Exactly. I mean... By a million or yeah, whatever it was? By a three million. I mean, by an order of magnitude, basically, if compared to Gore and Bush. So the question is getting louder and louder, you know, why do we keep doubling up? And you combine that with urban centers being concentrated, we capped the number of representatives. It's a big messy situation, but there's actually a solution uh, that's actionable instead of being one of those pie in the sky things. Would you like me to talk about that solution? Let me guess, gladiator pit fighting. That's a solution and a more entertaining one. One that Trump would definitely support. <laughs> Think of the ratings. <laughs> so, um, before... <laughs> God. Uh, He's going to tell Pence, gladiator fighting's on you and the coronavirus. I hope you can handle both. <laughs> yeah, Jared Kushner will be 
like the intern for the gladiator <laughs> program. Maybe I'll take a sword in the neck. Um, so the two, the two original ways, if you were to bring up this idea like 30 years ago, which it was brought up by a senator from Indiana who was like, uh, this is a really terrible system. And we got within like two votes of actually doing away with it. Uh, and then I got filibustered. Anyway, another day. The solutions used to be, well, we have to amend the Constitution because Article 2... That sounds like an easy process. Oh, yeah. Let me tell you about how easy that process is. Um, Section 2... I'm sorry, Article 2, Section 1. It sort of lays out the case for um, the Electoral College. We amended it to do so. This happened years and years ago, right? To do it again... And remember, things were not nearly as partisan back then. Um, To do it again, we have two built-in methods to fix it. One, there is amend the Constitution, and that requires a two-thirds majority from both chambers. Um, So we write a bill saying we're making this change, we're changing the Constitution. There's no parliamentary tricks you can pull off there. If you amend the Constitution, you need two-thirds from both sides. And if that wasn't enough of a hurdle, after that, three-quarters of the individual state legislatures then have to ratify it. Can you imagine <laughs> all those red states? So we would need most of the Great Plains in the South. Yeah. Yeah, not going to happen. Number two, um, just as hard to, to get done, it's the Constitutional Convention, which would be, as a politico, a whole lot of fun to watch happen. So basically, the states petition the federal government to make a change. It's, all, it's like it's our version of, of just flushing the toilet of government. We're like, well, we've got to start over, guys. Things got crazy. So let's have a convention, and we can suss out all of our problems. We need three-quarters, two-thirds majorities, just like the other one again. It's just not going to happen. Not going to get ran through. I used to think it would be impossible because those are the two built-in ways, but then someone got clever. So there's a movement right now. Um, it's called the, the National Popular Vote um, um, I don't know, thesis, idea, concept. I remember this. Right. So the states agree with one another because, as I said before, the Constitution, above all, says, hey, states, you can figure out how you want to assign your votes and how you want to go through elections. These states want to corral together, make a promise to one another that whoever wins the national vote, popular national vote, will get the assignment of their electors. So far... We haven't made it to 270, because that's basically what we need. If, if enough states, the right combination of states that made up that number agreed to this pact, then it wouldn't matter about the Electoral College, because the national vote, the popular vote, would decide it every time. I think I follow. Say it again. So enough states, we'll say 30-plus states, mm-hmm. agree with one another. They sign pacts between one another, not with the federal government. Okay. So they don't have to go through amending a constitution. They don't have to go through a convention. They just agree with one another that whoever wins the popular vote on a national level, okay. they will get those states' electors. Okay, now I'm with you. We have not gotten enough states to commit to get to 270, but the minute we do, the Electoral College is done. It's dead. It, it, it'll exist, but it'll be useless. So that's the workaround. That is a, a brilliant workaround. I, I, I loved reading about it. I probably read about the first time maybe like a year ago or so. But I think, we, I, think I read like three states are on board with this so far. There's probably more now. I think this. Actually, we you know I have this internet in front of me. The 
National Council of State Legislatures, uh, excellent resource uh, and, and, and sort of work colleagues of mine for this kinds of stuff. They talk about all, all matters of state and stuff like that. So if you're a big dork like me, then it's almost fun. Okay. And it looks like, you know, there's going to be some states addressing it in their local uh, vote uh, this time around. Right now, maybe, here we go. So we have one, two, three, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve states, I think, that are, oh, no, wait, this, boy, they're really going out of the way to explain. This is good. Um, I need to figure out. How many states are a part of this? Zach, do some of that great filler talk while I look this up. I'm very fascinated now. Been getting nasty on the uh, Blackstone griddle lately. Um, if you haven't heard of this or if you've been thinking about buying one, you should really buy one because this is my new favorite method of cooking. I'm talking, you can do steaks, you can do seafood, chicken, bur smash burgers are phenomenal on the Blackstone griddle. Uh, I made some fish sandwiches so last good. night that were restaurant quality. <clears throat> I'm going to go ahead and just go out on a limb and say that. Um, let's see what else we've we been doing. Uh, took Michael shooting. Um, so much fun. Yeah, took him took him down to the range. Um, that was fun. Uh, what else have we done? Okay. All right, fine. It's about 16 states. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to rattle them off real quick, and uh, none of them are going to uh, surprise me. Washington, Oregon, California, New Mexico, Colorado, Illinois, uh, Vermont, Massachusetts, Rhode Island, Connecticut, uh, New Jersey, Delaware, Maryland, D.C., uh, did I say New York? New York, and Hawaii. Um, there are several states that have had one chamber, at least, pass uh, a bill that would bring their state into that agreement. So we're actually not that far off, you think about it. We've got... Um, see here we've got states like like minnesota michigan virginia and north carolina and arizona and maine that have had at least one legislative chamber actually pass it so we're not just stuck at 16 right now like this is actually kind of this is much more encouraging than i thought it would i hadn't really looked at something like this but so here's here's a fun thought experiment let's say we get close or then we are to this actually being a thing how is Fox News and Breitbart going to spin this to be a bad thing? They're going to try because they lose control. It's the same way, it's the same reason they didn't want mail-in voting because you can't gerrymander mm -hmm. and voter suppress mm -hmm. mail-in votes. It's hard because you gerrymander and voter suppress uh, minority brown and black votes because they're typically Democratic votes. Right. That's why you gerrymandering voter suppress right so you can't do that to the post office so this is our workaround to the electoral college prog pr uh, problem how are they going to spin this to look like it's some sort of liberal takeover of the government or whatever i mean well first they'll just call it that at face value yeah and they're running out of plays in the playbook here uh i feel like they're just gonna bang the original drum of you know this is 
um, the original problem the founders were worried about of you know having rural states be dominated. Um, yada, they they yada, love yada. to go back to the founding fathers. Yeah, they? That somehow they claimed patriotism and they claimed the Fourth of July for some reason. I don't know. Yeah, and when they run campaigns, somehow like rock music. I was I hate that the Republicans are always playing Bruce Springsteen. And yeah, I, we heard we heard a little we heard um, how many artists have reached out to Trump's campaign and said, "Stop playing our songs, you like, fucking creep." You know, it's like, <laughs> and you figure. Just about everybody that works for that campaign would know that goes without saying. It's like these people. Come on, like let's be real. So, I I thoroughly believe they will go right back to the old tried and true. You know, think about Thomas Jefferson. Think about you know equal balance of representation. It it's not just me. We're obviously at an inflection point with media and how these big money media corporations, um, some of which are owned by people who weren't even born in America, Hinton, Rupert Murdoch, um, what kind of role, what kind of moral leadership they want to show? Because if they wanted to, and I wouldn't have said this five years ago, I swear to God, if they wanted to, they could start a civil war. I know we grew up with those guys that have been playing fantasy for so long that they can't tell the difference in reality anymore. You know, cosplaying military. Exactly, you're you're too pussy to join up yourself. I, I mean, and I thought them harmless until they successfully organized and cracked a plan to kill the governor of Michigan. That's fucking wild. It's so crazy. This is such a weird, weird time. And like, we're so breakneck speed with how much bullshit there is that we didn't get a chance to visit just how goddamn crazy that was. Like, that's it's that's, it's so nuts. Um, We're in a weird place. As a country, yeah, about as weird as it gets, and part of it, part of the problem, I always think about this um, with you know the flyover state people that we're talking about. And I know I'm being glib here, um, but it's like we've all been preparing for some war, and then it showed up, and it didn't look like what we wanted it to look like, and so we just started fighting with each other because there is a war going on. We got an unseen enemy uh, that's killing Americans. And we've also got political unrest. Um, people die in political unrest. That sounds a lot like wartime. But it doesn't require all the AR-15, you know, like ammo and guns that you spend all that money on. And it's not going to require the seeds and the pallets of fresh potable water that you've been investing in for some reason. This one requires critical thinking and a face mask. And people are disappointed with it. Like, I don't know. Like, they're let down. Like... I don't know what to tell you. I'm let down about a lot of things that I discovered what my life was going to be like. But come on, guys. Like, we can't just rip each other apart. Yeah, coming from a guy who actually likes guns, I don't fucking get it either. It's just, like, that was the first time I shot a handgun at that range. Now, I shot, like, a rifle and a shotgun before, but I had a good time. It was a lot of fun. Guns are fun. I'll say guns are fucking fun, but... um you know, reasonably. Yeah, just I don't, like everything else. I don't like how lax some of the laws are to get them. Um, I understand the, the whole rights and liberties aspect of it, I do, but just some required range time and education, I think, is important. <laughs> yeah, seriously. Cause, <laughs> At least know, to safely handle around yourself and your family. Because someone could, you know, like, get dead. <laughs> um, I want to talk about William Henry Harrison. Um, William Henry Harrison! <laughs> Because uh, thanks to late night talk show host, I was reminded of his uh, his interesting, quirky, funny, tragic little presidency. Uh, it was all of those things because it only lasted 31 days. Um, William Henry Harrison was a military hero uh, from the War of, of 1812, and that's largely how he was popular enough to get elected. He was he's a you know good old fashioned war hero. 
But during the campaign against, I can't remember, what his opposition, their, their, their chief attack on him was, look at this, you know, unsophisticated, brute, weak old man who's just an old backward. He's, he's not what we need for the country. And, and this really got under his skin, uh, or at least it turns out it did. Because even after he won the election, uh, on inauguration in D.C., it was cold and wet, this man approaching 70 refused to wear an overcoat or a top hat because he wanted to look cool and tough. Well, it was raining, and it was like 40 degrees. Um, so he died 31 days later of pneumonia, the flu, or something, <laughs> all because he wanted to be a big balls tough guy. Okay, to be fair, you can never compromise the drip. You can never compromise that drippy drip. Let me tell you, you don't want to wear a hat, don't wear a hat. Either way, politics literally killed him, and I get to say that. Well, we came close to that, didn't we? <laughs> when an overweight, elderly, clearly high blood pressured individual who happens to be running a country contracted COVID-19 Seriously. after claiming it was a hoax over and over and yeah. over again, um, kind of could have gone either way, if I'm being honest. Uh, you know, he has access to the best health care, so he came through okay, you know. Nobody, Not just in the world, but perhaps ever in yeah, the history yeah. of humanity. Nobody wishes death on anybody, but yeah, that could have that could have really gone the other way for that guy. So <clears throat> I guess lucky for him. Lucky for him. Um, and then he still yeah. wouldn't wear a mask. Yeah, didn't matter that he could barely breathe. I, I just don't get it. <laughs> I'll say one thing about the guy and uh, and friends of mine who, you know, may have supported it. I don't know if I'll go that far. When he first got into office, they would always say like, well, you know, think what you will, but he is a tough old asshole. And yeah, because I figured he'd have had an aneurysm by now, didn't about his diet and his weight. So um, this, um, the electors and how we actually vote, like that, that's the real potential for change. The, the NPV, the National Popular Vote Project, like that's a great idea. Um, but that's also very top level, and top level stuff can be hard to move, uh, as, as we all know. It's, it's, it's turning a big tanker. But we can affect elections at the local level. Um, if you didn't know, and why would you, two of the 50 states in the union do have different voting processes for how those electoral votes are assigned. They're, uh, oddly, Nebraska and, and Maine. If you look at uh, one of those generic you know, 538 interactive maps where you you know you select the scenario for which candidate, you'll notice that you have to kind of click two or three extra times for Maine and Nebraska. That's because they allow electors to go to different parties depending on how uh, districts within the state vote. Now, that doesn't seem crazy to me because that's allowing more, what's the right word, um, clear representation of people. It's this whole winner-take-all. That gets said a lot when talking about this subject. 48 states do it that way, where, just as it sounds, if you have one more vote than the other guy, you get all of the electors, or you get all of, of the juice to go to the next primary, or you win the election, like, whatever. But that just means that all these other people that you're supposed to represent didn't vote for you. So outside of, of doing individual districts or sort of drawing up the lines differently on a state, which the states would be responsible for, or you know, we'd have to go through the big 
massive amendment of the Constitution to make them all do it. Um, you can do things like ranked ballot voting, where if my number one choice doesn't get it, my number two choice gets my vote. Maybe they were the one who got the most votes. You know, that way, at least, uh, there's some representation. Instead, instead of, you know, I, uh, to, to quote South Park, like, let me get the turd sandwich versus the douchebag. You know, it, it's, they're all, and this is when you get political, this is when I get political. The reason it hasn't changed is the right. I, I truly wish, um, and I wouldn't have said that five, ten years ago, because I just assume I'd be shouted down. But they have laid bare that the only strategy they have left, because they built nothing to stand on over the past four years, is to work the system. They, they literally have campaigned on the fact that, nah, we don't really know what we're talking about. We don't have anything to show you. Um, but this is how we might do it. And when I say do it, I mean win. Because that's their platform. It's fuck Democrats and win. Since they don't have any actual policy, since they don't have actually accomplishments, I guess all they do is talk about how they're going to cheat to win. Yeah, I, you know, I started paying it. I say this over and over, and I'm sorry if you've been listening to our two listeners, Chris and David. Um, <laughs> I've been saying this over and over. I can no longer see myself siding with Republican ideals because conservatism is on the losing side of history every time. Any major political social issue, it's on the losing side of history. Women's right to vote, minority rights, civil rights movement, LGBTQ rights, anything. Pick one. Doesn't matter. No. They're on the losing side of history. And, and I will. I can never side with conservatism because of that reason. Because they fucking lose. I. Morally. In the in the end. More like morally. On a political on a moral level, they lose every time. They do. It's just the natural progression of the evolution of a country. We get more inclusive, we get more progressive with every generation that dies, the children get more educated. Hint hint. No, and when and when it goes the other way, when your Hitlers and your Mussolinis of the world happen and your Trumps, it's pretty short order that we turn around and write in our history books how to avoid that situation. Yeah. History's we, not gonna look back on twenty sixteen to twenty twenty in America favorably. I don't care how many flags you have on your fucking truck. This is going to be a black smudge in your children's history books, unless you're in Mississippi, Georgia, Alabama, where they still teach creationism. Yeah. Which is, which is fucking bonkers. But it's going to be a black smudge on American history. Because, again, this alt-right, this GOP, this hyper-conservative value is just on the losing side of history. For a reason. For a reason. And it didn't even have to be this way. You know, they... The, the general principles behind con, you know, conservatism is, is not changing too much, respecting your convention, your tradition. And I'm not shitting all over that, even though I'm a forward-thinking guy, I guess, relative to the other, my, my countrymen. I'm saying that you, know, you as a party can pick how you are defining you know, what our actions and our policy are and how that represents the morality of, of your, your party. You, know, you didn't have to make it about any change is a break from your precious traditions. You know, you could simply evolve and include um, more like modern ideas. That's a good point. I want to know, 2020 moving forward, let's say hypothetically and probably realistically, Biden gets eight years. How is the Republican Party going to morph into something that includes 
black and brown people who they have disparaged, who they have repressed from voting, they have repressed them from representation, they have repressed them from wealth. How are they going to morph into a party that can actually get the minority vote in a rapidly browning country? We, in our lifetime, are going to see the white European male as the minority. It'll, it'll become a plurality. It will. It yeah, will. If it isn't already. So what's the Republican Party going to do? Like, I, How are you going to bring that good old-fashioned Andy Griffith shit to the ballot box, I don't, I don't understand. Like, I, it's gonna be an, it's gonna be interesting to watch. I'm waiting. I feel like they've painted themselves into a corner here. Yeah, it's it's pretty ugly. Like, like these old fucking white values. Yeah, that's all it is. Are going to die with you because your children are getting educations. Yeah. Hint, hint. Enable people to get educations. Silver bullet. That's how you move a country forward. Yeah. Educate the people. And it's. It in is, my it, opinion. It is baffling. Like, I have come to the conclusion, uh, just personally, that the Republican Party is sort of blown apart um, with, like, the Freedom Caucus and the Tea Party. and uh, Party. And I know, right? Um, and they just became whatever it is that they wanted to be in, in the minute that they were being it. At the time, you know, I, I, could, I could give you all these reasons as to why the Tea Party existed. I could... I could I could write a manifesto. Um, obviously, I never was on board with the right. You know, that's not for me. But at least I could give you several reasons. But now I know that it's all about one thing. That there was a black man in the office. We've elected a black man in the office, and they're still mad about it. Because it represents to them a, a... It's like we're interlopers in their country for supporting this black man, an American who was elected by the people through due process. And that was so much. That was so much to handle. Yeah, but his middle name was Hussein. I I know. And he wore a tan suit. Tan suits. (laughs) You're worse than Hitler. You wear a tan suit. You know, um, camel hair. Why do we even have camels? Anyway, what they're going to do after this, um, genuinely, I'm curious. Because it feels like they've had a couple of touchdown moments where, where they could have made changes. This could have been... And they just didn't. Trump could have been the hero. Oh, yeah. This was a fucking... Easy slam dunk. Layup. Yeah. Lock it down. Follow the playbook that was handed to you by the previous administration. They wrote it down. Yeah. And he was really popular, if you don't remember. <laughs> they wrote it down. Politics aside, you were handed a playbook and you threw it out. You threw the whole department out. Yeah. How, how big is the White House staff? Hundred something people, like under two hundred, maybe maybe more, depending on what you're counting exactly. But whatever. But there was a, a designated portion of that. Yes, there was an for in, pandemic interior, response. Yep, interior department. And it's gone. This was handed to you, almost taken away immediately when he got into office. For what? I have no idea why. I don't know. I don't know. Spite, I guess. What? I don't I, I, I don't know why you do that. Jared Kushner says a lot of stupid things, but he did say one thing that I believe is true the other day, um, or I don't know when he said it, but he said it that when they showed up. Um, and took the presidency that it was it was like a hostile takeover. Uh, he's probably giving himself too much credit there, but he described the Republican Party's uh, party as just a bunch of like warring tribes, and he's exactly correct. After Barack Obama was elected and everyone lost their mind and they couldn't figure out how to stem this tide of more brown people in this country and younger people who are educated and don't think the way that the conventional Republican Party thinks, Instead of actually cracking a real plan, 
they doubled down on obstructionists. We all remember Mitch McConnell, like day one, like my job is to make him a one-term president and to just fucking stand on the way as much as possible. And he has committed to that and been largely successful. But the rest of the party did, I mean, everybody just kind of fell in line with that and then scattered. So you've got the Tea Party, you've got the Freedom Caucus, you've got Western Republicans, you've got the just the racist Southern Republicans, and you've got the Republicans up north that aren't Republicans anymore. They were never unified um, once Barry just kind of like broke them up. That's what allowed Trump to get elected, is that there was a vacuum of leadership, real leadership, in the Republican National Committee, and so he was able to just perform this hostile takeover. Nothing has changed about how the uniformity of the Republican Party. If Trump loses, they're in worse shape than they were at any time in the past eight years. There's still no leadership. All there is is Mitch McConnell's iron fist uh, to do whatever. I don't even know what the hell that makes that guy tick. Um, so yeah, like there are a lot of questions that simply, we've run out of time. We have to answer them at this point. They're going to be answered. And I'm, again, genuinely curious what the Republicans, what their plan is here. Like, how do we remain relevant? Are we really just going to, as soon as Biden gets inaugurated, start talking about how we're spending too much money? Like, really? You just really can't come up with a new idea. Like, so I wait with bated breaths. You know, it's going to, it's, I don't know how it is I can have more, like, anticipation than I already have over the past year, but it's, I, st I still have a lot to find out. You heard it here first. 2024, Republicans run a black candidate. If there's any in, in the party. Like Michael Steele was their last one. He's not even Republican anymore. I say that was that sounded real racist. Once uh, Barack Obama, got, <laughs> I was wondering how long yeah. it would take before <laughs> before white men with a microphone and the internet accidentally say something racist. You know, yeah. <laughs> how many episodes? Like seven. Let me give you context. <laughs> so when when Barack Obama was elected, um, this was their attempt at like, inclusivity. They elevated Michael Steele to be president of the uh, Republican National Committee. And the dude just came out of nowhere, and everybody was like, really? <laughs> and and he, was, he was just kind of like, they, they, they jerked him around, and I, I, I don't have a ton of memory of, of what his specific uh, you know, initiatives and policies were back then, but long to the short, he's not voting for Trump this time around. So I, I don't know where they're going to find uh, these men and women of color who genuinely support the Republican Party. Good question, but just, I'm, ca I'm calling it. That's the only way. Or... An Hispanic candidate, something besides an old white asshole. Woman, well, I could find. Uh, uh, that I'm maybe. calling it. I'm calling it right now. I, I think there's, there's pretty good odds. And I'm calling it too. In probably not this next election cycle, but the one after that, you're going to see Poot Bet uh, Pete Poot Bittages. Oh God! Old Poot. Oh God! Everybody loves old Poot. Pete Buttigieg. You're going to see him on a ticket. I'm, I I. My my placeholder for for beauty judge is Jared Polis, but I'm I'm biased because I love Colorado so much, and he's the governor of Colorado. Yeah. I, I believe him to be the first major, uh, serious uh, candidate for presidency uh, who will be part of the LGBTQ community. Here's why I liked Pete. He was palatable. Yeah. Because he was presidential. He stood up there. He was a no name. He's governor, right? South Bend. Mayor of, mayor of, of South yeah, Bend. Mayor no South name Bend. mayor of South Bend who was on the big stage and made it a long way. Oh, yeah. And took questions and fucking hung in there. He is palatable to the LGBTQ uh, community, obviously. He's palatable to all white voters. Yeah. The, just the way he carries himself. and his He's very um, moderate, if, I, mean, I felt like, in his tag, just like Biden. He's, he's, he's very moderate. He's actually, um, if you were to compare what he was running on during the primary process 
he's more moderate than Joe Biden. And I believe that he will have to become more liberal um, with some of his business policies if he wants to, to, to grab those reins. And I think he will. I don't think his, his big knock was he did have big, he did rub elbows with big money in like pharma and, and uh, healthcare. Not that that's like some crazy sin. He actually did a lot of good work on helping consumers of those things. Uh, but the fact of the matter was he, he was more centered. And that's why it didn't work out for him is because Amy Klobuchar uh, had a lot of the same sort of like moderate Democrat mojo. And so it just split the, the vote and, the, you know, all that was left was the progressive side and then the institutional side that already had the infrastructure, which, of course, is Joe Biden. And Bernie Sanders got very, very close. Uh, but then the Democratic Party decided now and you know, lost out in South Carolina. I think Bernie's ahead of his time. I do. This is my personal view. I know nothing really about um, how the game is played. I think Bernie's ahead of his time. He, I mean, the thing about Bernie Sanders, and I could say a lot about Bernie Sanders because I was an early Bernie supporter back in, in 16. You can Google his speeches and his, his, his stump speeches. That motherfucker's been talking about, literally using the same words for like yeah. 45 years. Yeah. Like, the, you find me another consistent politician on national, on any level. I, I will say this. I have a friend back in Tennessee. Um, I won't say anything more than his name is Tom. Tom is an old uh, MP in military police. He was Army. He said his two favorite politicians are the two he respected most, Bernie Sanders and Ted Cruz. Really? Because it's the same message. It has not changed. It's been consistent over the years. Know what you're getting. For better or for worse, you get what you get. Yeah. Although, uh, asterisk with Ted Cruz, uh, with, with the with their recent... Uh, well, it became very sexy in the Republican Party to be a fucking hypocrite. And so he just yeah, jumped and, on board. And when Trump insulted, what was his family or whatever, and he still fucking sided with yeah. him? Yeah. That made, that made Ted Cruz a bit of a fucking... Dude, he literally, he literally wouldn't say he endorsed him at the uh, convention in 16. He wouldn't say the words. He went up there. He was invited to go up there and give a speech to congratulate the president, and he wouldn't say the words. And everybody heard it. Everybody, He got booed. And then like a few <laughs> months later, he's like, I'm proud to support President uh, Trump. It's like, uh, dude, how much dick do you say? Who, do, who, like, who, who does that remind you? Stand back and stand by. It's for real. And like him and throw him in with Lindsey Graham and like oh, uh, God. that guy. Like, you know. Lap, lap dog Lindsey they started calling him. I wish I could have, you know, Great confidence that he's going to lose his seat. I don't. There's definitely a good chance. Be, be, be honest with me, because I'm still new to this game. Is there this level of pandering and DSing going on on the left to just pander to the president, to just fucking bend over and take it? Like, it, it, it's embarrassing. Like, a man insults your family like Ted Cruz, and he still fucking bends over. He still fucking talks shit about all his fucking... Half his fucking entourage has been indicted. <laughs> it's embarrassing, and they still support him. Is there that level of just... Obsequacy. Sure. Yeah. I was going to say... Never mind what I was going to say, but... Um, you know... How, if people know you as a Democrat and a liberal... You know, how is it that that my words have any weight there? That's fine. I, I get but, it. I get objective. And that's, that's the asterisk, I guess, that I have to, as someone... What, what level... Let me, let me rephrase. What level of gameplay is going on? Because it seems pretty obnoxious for somebody to insult you directly and your family, and you still have to jump on the party platform. Yeah. I, I know there's a lot more that goes into play there. I understand you have objectives you want to accomplish, 
but I just don't see it. I don't see people openly insulting, yeah. personally attacking these well, last four years, That, like you see yeah. Trump attacking his own people and throwing them under the bus for his actions. It's... It's bonkers. It's because it is it is linked to to what we were just talking about how the Republican Party shattered into tribes. There is a lack of of uniform agreement on how we're going to behave, and so they feel as though it's every man for himself. So they're willing to do that to save their own skin. Now, when President Obama was in power, and every time. Uh, your president, you are the de facto leadership of your entire party for both parties. That's that's the way it is. Because you need to be able, if you're an incumbent, the greatest advantage you can have in an election is being the president because you have the weight of the federal government and the power of presidency behind you. But it's almost as though we never had that de facto head status anymore for Trump. Like, sure, he definitely, everyone kowtows to him, but everybody licks boots so freaking hard it's clear, but does Mitch McConnell, have you seen Mitch McConnell lick boot the way that Lindsey Graham does, the way that Ted Cruz has? No, because he actually has power. He's, he's got real power. Ted Cruz like, almost lost his Senate seat to Beto O'Rourke. And Lindsey Graham is within the margin of error of losing his seat in South Carolina. Since there's no uniform leadership and they can't all be like, all right, look, we're going to use our powers to funnel money to Lindsey Graham or, or this person, or we're gonna, the president's gonna say good things, or they're gonna campaign with this person. It's just, just a bunch of, you know, little tribes and, and silos operating all for themselves, and it creates that, because they, they feel they have to do anything to keep their, uh, their ass in the seat, and there's nobody, you know, putting aside the childishness of, of current president there's nobody there making that uniform message like this is this is what we're going to do when this happens democrats have been lucky enough to have good strong leadership which has its cons obviously but yeah that's why you don't see that's why it becomes news when you know uh, someone who's running for congress or someone who's running for senate is maybe has an opinion that doesn't jive with um we'll use president obama in this case and it would be a news story that the president didn't like visit the campaign tour or something like that was a slight it's like oh president obama didn't like, write you a letter about how he's so proud of you running like that's an insult yeah that's that that's newsworthy not but now dead military servicemen and women suckers and losers and be, right and because of how just jacked up it is with that side of the aisle like they're in this place now where it's yeah it doesn't they're just holding on for dear life because God, it's such a weird spot to be in. Right it now. is. It, I, I struggle every day to find words to put to it all. Um, you know, yeah, it's just crazy. You just, you, it's, it's so weird when your, your parody, you know, years ago, I feel like I have seen SNL skits and, and just on in movies and TV things that portended this, that forecasted this bullshit and tried to warn us about it. And now we're living it like it's a reality. We have the Manchurian candidate. We have the emperor with no clothes. We have the idiot yuppie kids. You know, like this is all the stuff that my whole life have been warning me to look for. And now I'm living it. Like it is surreal. It's pretty bonkers. And no one will now listen to us. Like you told us to get educated. And now you're not going to listen to me when I tell you, hey, this is fucking nuts. And they're like, yeah, well, I guess we kind of fucking like it when it's nuts. And by the way... Trump is partially in office because of Vladimir Putin, right? Whatever, Russian interference, 
That's been proven. That's that's not. A, I, I just want to. It's not up for debate. The, our intelligence agency said so. Our own. He was helping him. Our own intelligence agency said that that happened. It's a thing. It's not up for debate. I don't know why people are still saying it's not proven. It's it, it happened. happened. Like it happened. Our authorities, who are our authorities, said it happened. And I bring it up because, obviously, you know, Putin would rather have him in office than Hillary Clinton. Um, we can get. I don't mean to sound conspiratorial here, but there's. It's well documented. There's plenty of documentaries out there on Netflix and popular platforms about the Trump family and the history of um, real estate in New York and Trump ties. And that's all I'll say about it. I'm not. I'm not going to dive into that pool because it's not worth getting into. It doesn't matter because we're we're here now. And but you can look into that if you want to. We can we can talk about you know the reasons are obvious for why someone would want to have a president in office when you are a foreign adversary that you think is going to give you, you know, good treatment. But here's, here's, or that you think is weak or you think is weak, right? Like here's the number one thing though. Putin wants chaos everywhere because it allows him to operate unchecked. He doesn't have the U S government taking his actions seriously because we're a mess. And not only that, our news agencies can't keep ties on them because they're too busy covering the fucking jackass in the white house. So our hand's been off the wheel of the world the whole time. And yes, that in itself is a controversial topic that someone needs to have their hand on the wheel. If anyone's going to have their hand on the wheel, I'd really like it for it to be us uh, because I'm an American, number one, and we have the most resources uh, of any country in the world ever. So it makes sense for us to have at least maybe a couple fingers on the wheel. But for the past four years or so, you know, agents of fascism and, and oppression have been operating largely unchecked. I mean, go nuts if you want, but check out the news in places like Greece and Poland and Belarus. Like, dictatorship is back. Fascism is back. Like, we, we have it in our country. Like, are, like, is there another war coming where we gotta do what we did in the 40s and kill a bunch of Nazis? Like, I don't know. But like we talked about at the beginning, like, wars look different now. So like, maybe we're already fighting the fascists? Question mark? I don't know. Yeah, I need. I just whatever's gonna happen, I would just like for it to go ahead and happen. You know, I feel like I'm gonna be wait. It's gonna. I'm gonna be waiting 80 hours to get to seven o'clock tonight. Hmm. Anything else you want to talk about? I mean, I mean, and there's just. Just a never-ending list, right? There's just so much to talk about, and I've I've never once had real fear of like of my own country like rising up, try to like hurt me. But you know, you got like these Trump supporters like flanking the the Biden Harris bus, like what? Like like who who empowered them to think that was a good idea? Oh wait, I don't know who. Uh, but yeah, and then what in Florida? To Marco Rubio, he he like got on to give a stump speech for Trump and said something like, we already do that in Florida. Yeah. Like, that's their whole platform. It's just nothing but fuck the other guy. Like, what were your life, like, what was your childhood like? 
Like, if you want to be... Who hurt you, Marco? Seriously, all of them. Like, why are y'all so insecure and tiny and puny and weak? My wife likes to talk shit about Marco Rubio because she says uh, she understands that, being from Miami, that machismo, that attitude. Like, she understands him on, like, a fundamental level on why he is the way he is, right? And and wonderful. Like, let's let's have our politicians, like, just try to buy into their own stereotypes of their ethnicity. Oh, God, that's so backward. Uh, I don't know, man. What else you want to talk about? Bigfoot's been floating around on my podcast feed. I think a lot of the... Which one? Bigfoot. There's multiple names. Oh, okay. Does it matter? uh, We're talking about what Yeti, Sasquatch, the Abominable Snowman. Clear something up for me. Okay. Is Stank Ape different? The Stink Ape. The Stink Ape. That's like a swamp thing, right? It's the Yeti in Louisiana. (laughs) Oh, yeah. (laughs) Every culture has a fucking yeti. I don't. I don't know about they the stink. They do. I don't know about the stink. I, I, yeah. I did a lot of reading on vampires before. Okay. Because I wanted to do a vampire episode, but I haven't done a lot of looking up on um, Bigfoot. But I was flipping through. Um, I, I subscribe to a lot of podcasts, right? And on like the stand-up comedians, because they're all turning to podcasts because they can't do their club club shows, you know? Yeah. And uh, a couple of other ones. Yeah, they're all. I see Bigfoot popping up a lot, you know. I don't know. I think they all listen to each other. Just, just poc- so they all just kind of feed off the same podcasts where they simply discuss the possibility of Bigfoot being real. No, and they touch on it. Yeah, and what Can, they- you can't keep comedians. I, I, I'm not a comedian, despite my hilarious demeanor. But no, you can't keep stand-ups on a topic. They riff too much. Like no. much like this is very free floating sometimes. Well, that's how you get like the good material, right? Yeah, they like, they they go off on like these tangentials. I love it. I prefer that. Inspiration hits when you're not paying attention. Yes, I, I like that a lot. But I uh, haven't done a lot of looking up on uh, Bigfoot. Who else do you like? What other mythical creatures are you like have information on? You like read Ogopogo, Loch Ness, like. What's an Ogopogo? I was hoping you knew. Oh, um, that's a dinosaur. Isn't yes. It? Yeah, yes. That, that people think a that. A plethiosaur. A plethiosaur from the Venture Brothers. Okay, yes. yeah, now I'm with you. Okay, yeah, so people think that that might be a, a, a plethiosaur that survived somehow. I don't know. Is it? It's a Canada? Loch Ness? No, no. Ogopogo. Oh, I don't know. Are they the same thing? You are asking the wrong Come word. here, Internet. Yeah, you fucking. All right. Look, if you're uh, if you're done with the political discussion, you can hang on if you want. But we're just gonna talk about <clears throat> whatever we want for a minute. Yeah, because it's cathartic to. Yeah. Okay. So Ogopogo or Ogie is a lake monster <laughs> said okay. to inhabit a Canagan Lake in British Columbia. Nailed it. Sort of. Ooh, they've got it here. Look, you can see a little. They like them so much they make them into like a playground thing. That's neat. It looks like Puff the Magic Dragon. A little bit. They Puff uh, and and Loch Ness had a baby. Let's see here. Um, some scholars have charted the entity's development from First Nations folklore and widespread water monster folklore motifs. The Ogopogo now plays a role in the commercial symbolism and media representation of the region. Oh, that's awesome. Okay, so they adopted it. Yeah, so British Columbia was like, eh, this isn't, we'll just make it a thing now. Like, why actually address it when we can turn it to something we can make money off of? Fuck it, be like whales. Put it on the flag. Yeah, or like a... <laughs> Kazakhstan. Like at first they were super pissed about the Borat movies, but now they're like, all right, let's sell shit. And it's working. <laughs> Good for them. Yeah. Like, come on. You were definitely the butt of a giant joke. And sorry about that, but hey, make some money. You know, I had a couple of flight students from Kazakhstan. That's right. They were really, really nice guys. Interesting country. One's name was Nevzit, and the other one's name was 
too long ago. I can't remember. Comics Con is that's that. So you have the you have the stands, right? You have Kazakhstan, Kyrgyzstan, Tajikistan, uh, Turkmenistan, um, and maybe another one. I, I I confuse them. Either it's Kazakhstan or it's Turkmenistan that is like the most rural. It's like they they barely even are have entered into like real world society. Like just true strong man as president. Who's like just there to like run shit and keep you know women as baby ovens and all that traditional <laughs> shit, uh, but they they basically exist because there's this giant like reservoir of oil underneath them that everyone has a hard time getting to. Man, story of our life, colonialism, baby. Really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, it's just sort of like Russia with all of that oil under the permafrost that they can't drill to, but we can because we have the technology, and they're just like, we'll figure it out. <laughs> they're like, you sure? What's that? Uh, what's that new story we saw about that rock that was floating by? That, oh, was, right. that, that was made of like that um, really highly precious metal that was worth more than the whole global economy. Was vibranium. Pa- vibranium. Yeah, it was passing through. Right. <laughs> you know what that meteorite needs is some freedom. It needs freedom. Uh, I assume that it was probably something like titanium, or I don't know. We're gonna find out here. Asteroid. Let's see. Uh, you, you could have told me anything, and I would have thought that was. Metals. I don't fucking know. It's it, you, and uh, I just went to vibranium. I'm sorry that happened, but not really. <laughs> All right, um, that just goes to prove we have zero credibility here. Let's see. <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay, so check the news. Asteroid viable metals. There's a metal asteroid out there worth ten thousand quadrillion dollars. How many zeros is that? Let's see if USA Today tells me because I don't know. Uh, 10,000 quadrillion. That's made up. Seriously, if you have to invent a number... Okay, let's see if it does here. The asteroid's metal is worth an estimated, that number, more than the entire economy of Earth. That gave you some perspective. Let's see. The entire economy of Earth. It's got a name. Uh, The asteroid 16 Psyche, one of the most massive objects in the main asteroid belt orbiting between Mars and Jupiter, could be made entirely of metal, according to a study published this week. Even more intriguing... The asteroid's metal is worth an estimated that number. That's 15 more zeros than the five that come with 10,000. I'm sorry, the four that come with 10,000. There you go. Thank you, USA Today. More than the they could have just said 19 zeros. That is so. That's a someone put that on a calculator. Show me that error screen. It gives you that little e at the end. I just want to see like what's the metal here. It's Earth has a metal core, a mantle, and crust. It's possible that as a psych protoplanet was forming. It was struck by another object in our solar system and lots and lost its mantle and crust. Oh, okay, cool. So they're 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 hypothesizing that uh, we were basically this asteroid is a chunk of a planet. Yeah. Uh, okay. Yeah. So like and like we have you know our core and mantle where all that metal is that would ostensibly be worth money if we go to it. That's it. It's like the mantle and crust. It got knocked off by another asteroid and now it's hurling our way. That's cool. So it's some kind of extraterrestrial metal. We don't know what it is. You know, like we have no way of knowing. Don't we keep expanding like the periodic table of elements anyway? Like if we this is everything we know that's in the whole universe except for the stuff we don't know. Like you know, when are we gonna find that rock that is vibranium, or you know something that makes energy cheap for everybody? I choose to believe it's out there. I hope it's out there. Wakanda forever. I yeah, I was gonna say I just want all that shit from Black Panther to be real. And I how good was Black Panther? So good, and it makes me sad to even talk about it now, uh, knowing that uh, Mr. Bozeman is dead. I love I love the idea of like superhero costumes that provide like ability. That was the coolest shit. 
Black Panther, that material that was in his... Um, Think about how forward-thinking of a concept idea that was at the time. Like from Stan Lee and all those dudes. Like to make a black superhero like that. Oh, well, yeah, given the time. But I, then, I thought you were talking about like the, the material. And well, no, I, well, I guess I mean it twice then. Because yes, but it was like really cool that how they envisioned the first black superhero in a time, you know, when that would be quite the thing is by giving him his superpowers through sophisticated technology. Like, I, that's a super forward-thinking way for Stanley, or whoever the hell it was that came up with this, to, like, plot their superhero. That's a good question. Hang on, I'm going to call somebody. Do We're going to call somebody who's an authority on this. Because it's not me. I no, 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 no. Wikipedia articles and watch the movie. I don't know if he's going to answer. When he went, uh, and I keep forgetting his first name, is the lead man. Chadwick, of course. Chadwick Boseman. You know, when he died, when that news came out, that was just one of those, like, 2020 is terrible, but, like, can we leave people of color alone in general? Hello? Like, just... Hey, buddy. Crushing them. Hey, what you up to? Uh, I'm uh, with Michael Thomas. We're doing an episode of the podcast. You got time for a question? Uh, yeah, sure. It's real fast. Yeah, uh, so, Black Panther, right? We were talking about how forward-thinking that was as a character. When did that character come about? And what else is going on at the time, like that would have made that that forward thinking in terms of not only like race of having a black superhero, but also of like the idea of vibranium composing like a whole super suit. Um, I'm not entirely sure if the suit was um, initially designed with vibranium. That might have come in later, but also I'm not 100 percent on that. But I do know that. Black Panther, when did that come in? That was issue number... No, 52? Yeah, I think it was uh, Fantastic Four, issue number 52 and 53. And that was in the late 60s. So that was like right in the middle of... United States Civil Rights Movement. Yeah, I want like a comic book historian here. Like, and I'm assuming this is you, uh, Mr. Painter. He is a comic book like, historian. I need, I, I now want all of the context around uh, the, 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 the thought, the ideation of Black Panther. And there had, there must have been people who had a problem with it. Uh, like, in, oh, yeah, no, there are plenty of people who uh, voiced their opinions about it. They would uh, publish letters from, uh, from readers in the back of books, and it was a, a pretty good mix of children and adults that were reading it, and uh, a lot of the, uh, I guess, backwards-thinking adults, their letters got published, and it was uh, kind of a, a way for Stanley to address those people and not necessarily give, give them a verbal beating, but uh, to hopefully enlighten them to uh, the error in their thinking. So it was a it was a great platform for uh, tackling uh, social issues at the time, and where a lot of people then felt that comic books were not the place to, uh, I guess, to tackle those social issues. They disagreed yeah. greatly because this was supposed to be a platform for for young, growing minds. And, Didn't think it was serious. And that kind of stuff doesn't doesn't have a place in the future. Yeah. At least it shouldn't. Yeah, well, you know, uh, you, but, don't put it in my comic books and don't kneel at my football game, right. basically. Just another one of those. Same mentality. 
Yeah, but honestly, like, if you, there would be no place that they would want those things. Right. You know? <laughs> Fair uh, enough, so, yeah. Like, so, I mean, to, to that end, you, uh, I don't know, you, you stick, I don't, I think they made the right call with that, you know, and, and that's a perfect platform to tackle those issues because, you know, where these adults are probably set in their ways, the kids are, are still growing and learning and uh, are uh, able to be reached. So that's a uh, good on stand. Good so on stand for you. Back, back, to, to, back to the character uh, itself here. In America. So, the, so the character itself, uh, Mr. Painter, like, so you, you hinted maybe that his, his suit wasn't, you know, threaded with vibranium like it is in the movie. Where was, like, the center of his power back in the 60s when he first debuted? That, see, I would have to read okay. the books again. I, I can't say 100% that that was a part of the, the lore at the time. Uh, it probably was. I just have to look it up just to be sure. So I, I can't say confidently that it wasn't a part of it. I'm pretty sure something there was something mystical about the suit it might have been vibrating from the very beginning but i'd have to look just right. to be sure but i um but yeah the fact that he came from a highly advanced uh country hidden in the continent of africa that was there from the very beginning and uh, you know that was that was pretty mind-blowing for the time to uh to basically take i guess what a lot of uh say this but I think a lot of people in the United States at the time there was there was a lot about countries outside of our own that were um, unclear to us and, and maybe there's a lot of mystery there and so it was uh, it was interesting to hide something like that in the middle of a country that we thought we knew well just because of the little bit we knew about it and um, I don't know it was I guess just kind of cool and, and new and interesting the way that they uh, definitely Yeah, right, cool. Well, I didn't want anything. That was all I wanted to ask. Okay, cool. All right, y'all, uh, y'all, y'all, y'all coming by later for the uh, election? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. We'll be by. I cool. think uh, Liz will. Uh, Liz will be home before me, so she'll just kind of take care of the dog. I'm. Mean, I'll be out of work probably at like seven thirty ish, and uh, yeah, as soon as I get home, I'll just grab her and uh, and we'll head there. We're probably gonna leave the dog though, just to be. Oh, okay. All right, buddy. But yeah. Yeah, so we'll probably see you around eight or so. All right. Thank you, Dr. Painter. Cool, cool. We'll see you later. See you, buddy. Bye.